Welcome back to another episode of Laser Graves. I am your co-host, E.K. Wimmer. Hey, E.K., I'm Mariah Rose. I'm your other co-host. That's right. And welcome, everybody. If you're a longtime listener, thanks for returning. If you're a first-time listener, I'm getting into it early in the podcast. Yeah. You are listening to a podcast about the 80s and 80s-related things, 80s-adjacent maybe sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, it works. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes those lasers just flash in front of us and we don't know where we're at. We're stupefied. Yeah, but we're not stupid. Nope. Unless it's with two O's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Here we go. Jinkos and stupid. <laughs> so anyway, welcome to, to the podcast. Uh, what's been going on in your life? Well, we live in New Mexico. It's been ballooning season, so our town balloons with the ballooning season, and I am very excited that we are past it now. So we had a good time, took our kids to go see the fiesta, like the get up at 4 a.m. and go watch balloons launch. It's a really cool experience that I don't want to do again for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's one of those things, I think it's probably the exact same feeling that marathon runners have, exactly the same, where they do it and they're like, I'm never doing that again. And then in a few years, they're like, I'll probably do that again. Yeah. Once that you've forgotten how miserable it is to get mm-hmm. up so early. It's really awful. Yeah. Even for morning people, I think. I'm a super morning person and I'm usually already awake at four, but getting up at four and doing something is a whole different experience. Yeah. I'm not a morning person. No. <laughs> like, even kind of. No, you are not. Yeah. Well, so yeah, we did the whole balloon thing. That was interesting. If you're ever in New Mexico around the first week of October. You should check it out. It's it's pretty bonkers. It's unbelievable. In our in our general area, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of balloons. And it's pretty cool if you've never seen such a thing. It's quite spectacular, but um, I think we almost take it for granted. We're just like, oh, look, there's a bajillion balloons in the sky. Yeah, we definitely take it for granted. <laughs> just like, oh, cool, balloons. But anyway, that was fun. What else have you been up to? Uh, well, I got strep throat. So if you're listening and wondering why I have this cool, it's actually not so bad right now. No, you sound pretty good. Cleared up right before we started, but I got a kind of cool raspy blues voice. Do you? But I'm going to be doing a lot of blues. Okay. A lot of, lot of laser graves blues. <laughs> but uh, it's because I had strep throat and I didn't know if I was going to be ready to, to podcast, but it's cleared up pretty well. Yeah, it's it's been interesting because you got strep throat like a nine-year-old, and then the rest <laughs> of our family got also a cold, not strep throat. So if I sound different... You because do, you sound stuffed up. It's because my entire like sinus cavity area is filled with snot. Yeah, so that's what we're dealing with, but... <laughs> That's a devotion to this podcast. We love you. We're still going through. And in other news, I got a brand new super fancy computer and I've been working on converting because it's a MacBook and I have never owned a Mac because we've always been poor college students and Mm -hmm. that's something that's been out of reach. So we've always had the cheapest PCs possible, but... Oh, for sure. We now have a nicer computer than we ever dreamed of and not because we could afford it, but we won't get into that now. (laughs) Well, we won the lottery. We sold a child. (laughs) Yeah, we sold... One of our kids is gone and now I can finally record music. Mm -hmm. No, I did get a new computer and it's been a huge learning curve to change everything over to Mac operating system and all of my programs were PC-based, so I'm having to start... From scratch, which is a good thing. I I encourage musicians to do that. You should change up how you record from time to time. Mix it up. Get in there. But I am happy that some of my things have crossed over and I don't have to rebuy necessarily everything. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's been that's been pretty cool, actually. So new music coming and on a on a brand new computer. That's good. Thank you for that update. And we look forward to new music down the road. And you have a new album coming out before too long, which we're going to be pressing on vinyl. Yeah, hopefully we'll be... it's happening. We will do it eventually. We just need to get that artwork done. (laughs) Wink, wink. I'm almost done, please. (laughs) It's really good. Uh, Greatness. You can't rush perfection. 
you, you have rushed perfection. Yeah, it's rushed fine. Perfection a lot. I'm working on a painting for the cover. Well, that's that. Thanks for listening to that incredibly awesome update of mine about a computer and, and snot. And snot, yeah. Mm-hmm. Snot <laughs> yeah. balloons computer. You've got it. Yeah. 99 snot balloons. Oh. Hey, speaking of snot balloons. Yes. So I was wandering through the desert. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a hole. It oh. looked like a hole that you dug because yeah. you have a very specific style of digging. I do. It's between my legs. I dig like a dog. Yeah, at the like beach. a coyote. Yeah. Uh, and I thought, oh, that's that's definitely one of Mariah's holes out there. <laughs> oh in the desert. wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I got the shovel, and I immediately found the time machine. And I was like, wait, you stashed it back out in the desert? Uh huh. And I realized that um, people enjoyed our last time machine, time travel episode. They did. So I brought it back. It was a little sandy. Mm -hmm. But here it is. Look. It's right in front of me. You can hear it. So it's not like it's fake. It's real. I see it. It's a full time machine. What do you think? Should Should we press it? I mean, I think we have to now. Everybody's on board. All right. Here we go. Gonna press it. Okay. Whoa, 2014. <laughs> we traveled from the 80s. Oh, no. All the way forward. To 2014. To 2014. Wow. You remember? Do you remember 2014? No, we had two very little children. I don't remember a thing. <clears throat> That's true. Well, let me refresh your memory. Okay. Actually, quite a few good movies came out that year. Okay. There's a couple choice selections. Okay. Some grade A selections. Hmm. <laughs> If you eat meat, <laughs> we're vegan. We don't How know do what great about vegans making meat jokes. <laughs> <laughs> um, what we do in the shadows? Okay, very good film. Solid. And staying on theme, a girl walks home alone at night. Ooh, yeah. Which we've been wanting to revisit. Maybe another day. Yeah, that's not this time travel. No, definitely not. Jeez, calm down. It's pretty good. Some good albums came out too. Uh, FKA Twig's first album, mm-hmm. LP1. That's a solid one that we like. Super good. And Prince's Artificial Age came out this right. year. I was I had pre-ordered it. It came in. I was super excited. And it ended up having one of my all-time favorite Prince songs on it, Breakdown, which uh, go on YouTube and listen to Breakdown off of Artificial Age. And that song is good. And those all came out in 2014. Wow. Yeah. What a year. What a landmark year. I was going to turn to you about power couples of 2014, but I'm just going to take a shot in the dark and assume Kanye and Kardashian were still together then. Were they? I don't know. What was what Why year? would you ask me? I Because you know all things celebrity. I know some pop culture. So just to be clear, I don't care about celebrities at all, but I have severe insomnia. And one of the things that puts me to sleep is reading trash celebrity news. So I'll pull it up on my phone and read like a half a sentence, fall asleep, and I will commit it to memory. It is shocking. I know like every celebrity's baby's name. I don't know why. I don't care. Yeah, I just feel like 2014, I could be way off because I don't really know this stuff, but that feels like around the same time when Kanye and Kardashian were on the motorcycle on the green screen riding through the (laughs) desert. You remember that video? And then you remember how Seth Rogen and James Uh Franco reenacted it shot for shot? Yeah. That feels like this time period. I think so. I bet I'm way off. Maybe. And I'm too lazy to fact check it right now. Uh, That, though, like I said, we were in early parenthood there, and that was... If you have kids or plan to have kids, that's a brain fog time. So. Oh, yeah. You just, everything's just... I don't know. You had No accountability during the first couple of years. No. Is it day? Is it night? Who cares? Yeah. Well, another film that came out in 2014 yes. was It Follows, and oh. that was a good one. It's one that I personally like. I have a couple people I know who are not fans of it and then other people who are big fans of it. It's so good. I think people have become a little jaded because the whole 80s revival has, you know, become a thing. Uh But It Follows was close to drive. Like these films were just starting to 
bring back that 80s feel. And I was in LA at the time for a film premiere of my own. And my friend and I who edited the film, my best friend said, oh, let's go check out this little indie film that's running downtown in, in LA called It Follows. And I was blown away. And I just thought it was a cool soundtrack, great acting, loved the lead in it. And that brings us to another film that came out the same year in 2014, starring the same lead, Mm -hmm. The Guest. Mrs. Peterson? Can I um, help you? My name is David. I mean, your son. How's weather when he died? One of the things he asked was for me to check on y'all. You and your whole family here. I said I'd do that, and so here I am. Would you like to come inside? Thank you, ma'am. Okay, so we have time traveled to a little indie um, thriller, horror thriller kind of yeah. 80s homage called The Guest. Do you remember the first time you saw this? You had seen it and recommended it to me, and we had to wait quite a while before it became available because it was in the earlier days of streaming. I know now you can just like get anything everywhere at all times, but 2014s you had to like pay twenty five dollars for a one night rental kind of situation. So we had to wait a while, and we just watched it at the house after we got children to sleep miraculously. Yeah, I saw it on the same trip that I saw it follows because I had I enjoyed it follows so much that my friend who he gets early screeners because he's a voting member of. Of the Academy Awards or something like that. I think that's how that works. I'm not sure. I don't sure. know. Who cares? Anyway, he used to get a bunch of early screeners because he could vote on that stuff. And he said, well, have you heard of The Guest? And I had not. And so we sat in his house and watched it. And I was like, whoa, this film's really cool, too. Mm-hmm. I, more than anything, loved the soundtrack. And we'll get into that later. Yeah. So right away it stood out. And then, yeah, I think I told you about it when I got back and um, we watched it. And we watched it several times since then. But this film's pretty solid. But more importantly, we felt like it's the spooky season. And since everybody else is doing it, we better get on board. Because we really dropped the ball last year. Dropped the pumpkin last year. Yeah, we, we didn't want to do any lead up. Remember, I think we just did a Halloween episode and that was it. You know what I'd like to do? Just every holiday, like the opposite end. Like we should do St. Patrick's Day and October. And just, <laughs> Good. I mean, I'm just a natural contrarian, but whatever. We can get on board this year. Yeah. So we are going to go ahead and launch into this fall spooky season Halloween era with a Halloween movie because some people might forget the guest takes place around Halloween, and that's the central theme, a whole Halloween dance, Mm -hmm. which is really, really funny when you watch this. Even more exciting is that it's Halloween in New Mexico, so it's more relatable to us. Yeah. And it's it's a fun little choice, so hope you guys enjoy listening to this one. If you have not seen this film... Um, definitely check it out. It holds up. It's it definitely really good. holds up. Yeah, but if you have seen it, maybe um, it's fun to listen to it with the perspective of a Halloween movie because I don't think a lot of people no. this is a go-to. You brought it up and I was like, really? Oh yeah. <laughs> and then right when it starts, it immediately it's starts very, with a pumpkin. Yeah. yeah. Um, this movie was, I think, the second feature maybe of director Adam Weingard. He was known for Your Next, which we had seen. And oh, liked yeah. it was that dinner party uh-huh. slasher movie, and then he went on to do VHS and VHS two and stuff like that. So he's gone on to have a, a nice career for himself. And his writing partner, who had worked with him with all these early short films and all these first feature films too, his name was Simon Barrett. He did this one and all those others as well. So this was kind of a little duo that worked together and okay. had a lot of success together. So I, I don't know. I think. Um, it's nice when you have those moments of creative forces that can work together, like John Carpenter and Alan Howarth or something like that. Like 
Angelo Badalamente and David Lynch, when you're able to find somebody that just gets what you're trying to do. Yeah, you and me, same thing. Yeah, yeah, laser graves. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same. Yeah. But that's who this group was. Um, strong, strong outing for this film. It's so solid. I think people forget that it is as good as it is. Because you watch it and you're like, yep, that was good. And then you forget about it. And then when it it comes up again, you're like, oh, yeah. Because it's sort of, I don't know, it's not a slow burn. It's really an action-packed movie. But there's something about it that I think we always forget how good it is. Yeah, it moves very quickly, actually. And it's like a horror movie with action action movie pacing is what it feels like. So it's a really clever little mashup. The whole 80s homage is fun, because of course we're going to be suckers about that. But I also think it's a pretty smart film. And it's smart in the sense that the script is smart, but also uh, when reading up on this film, you know, they showed it to test audiences, which is always interesting. And it was like half an hour longer. And people were just, you know, giving their honest feedback about what's not working, what is working. And I think the mark of a, of a good writer and director or production team in general is listening to your test audience mm-hmm. and making some changes. Because I do agree if this was a half hour longer, yeah, it wouldn't have worked. I think these kinds of old um, exploitation, it's not quite an exploitation film, but it's got that vibe of like a trashy kind of gritty film. Those have to move pretty quick. You can't yeah. really let those drag on to this bloated art house running time. So... That was smart. And then I think that just they made a lot of careful selections with the cinematography and the lighting and the music selections to just have this um, tied up in a nice little bow. And I don't think, you know, we'll talk about it as it goes on, but I don't really have a lot of criticisms about this film. No, there are such quick edits. I really caught that as I watched it this time where pertinent information is given very naturally, but very quickly. And I appreciate that because I feel like a lot of films, especially nowadays when every film has to be like nine hours long, they just will tell the whole story behind one detail. And you're just like, oh my gosh, that could have been one sentence. Yeah. And when they do the reveal on this one, it's pretty vague and it's pretty quick. Yeah. And that was one of the things that the test audience said is that originally there was this whole scene where they just drug on about going and great detail about what had happened and everybody was like no we don't we don't Don't need all that that's way too much information and it's interesting just speaking to test audiences i don't know if we've talked about this before i think we have when we were uh, in grad school in denver we got tickets through the art department Uh, one of our professors had tickets to go to a test screening of was it hostile or hostile part two maybe oh you remember that? Totally forgot. The Eli Roth film. And she said, you know, who wants these tickets? And we're like, oh, we'll go. So we went down to the theater and we were part of a test audience to watch the original cut, which is different from the theatrical version that came out. I remember certain scenes that didn't make the final cut yeah. based on test audience reactions. And it was Weird. so, it is kind of fun. I don't know. I like doing test stuff. You know what? Once in high school... I got to be a tester on a new, it was like a cookie or a cracker. My cousin and I were walking through a mall in Phoenix. We'd both been shipped to my grandma's house because she thought she could fix us because we were problem children. But we were walking through the mall being rebels and somebody was like, you want to test these? And we were like, yep. So we had to sign all this information and they took us to a back room in the mall and we tried their crackers. (laughs) Well, we also did the test subjects for the COVID thing, remember? And then they gave us a gift card. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That was pretty sweet. That was awesome. The test was they double nostriled you. Yeah, and then gave us a $50 gift card each. Totally. Which was pretty sweet. It we was. bought some cool stuff with it. Thanks, COVID. Yeah, and they double-nostriled us, but they had to look at us, so we made eye contact oh, while we double-nostriled. Boy, did we. Speaking <laughs> of eye contact, this dude's eyes in this film. Let's get into who's in this film, and then okay. we can talk about his beautiful blue eyes. Okay, so I'm not going to take you through the whole cast, although if you see this movie, you will recognize a lot of the people in it. There are a lot of people who've been in movies you've probably seen, and you're like, I recognize that face, and I believe 
leave you to IMDb for that because you will recognize a ton of the faces. But our main cast, uh, David, who is the lead um, or one of the leads, the male lead, is played by Dan Stevens, whom you probably know from Downton Abbey. So a little insight here. He's very British. And in this film, he is not a British character. And I only heard a couple of slips. So he's got a pretty good American accent. I thought he did a pretty good job, yeah. And he's also um, the live-action Beauty and the Beast with Emma Watson. He's the Beast when he's the babe. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's in a ton of other stuff. And I looked up his little IMDb write-up, and it was a lot of theatrical stuff, and I got real bored. He's kind of like a British Ryan Gosling, isn't he? I don't know. He I is, mean, but with, like, acting ability. He's in that weird way. Like, he's conventionally attractive, but there's something just a little askew about it. Yeah. So he's a little unnerving. So he gets to play these interesting characters because he's not, you know, perfectly handsome. There's just something a little bit different about him that I can't quite put my finger on. But I think that's what helps him to have this... Um, ability to be creepy and babe and obnoxious and all of these things. I also think this was really smart casting because originally I think they wanted somebody who was really buff, like a super soldier. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that would have worked because what's believable about him getting involved in the situations he is, is that he's, he is buff, but he's also more relatable and more realistic. Yeah, he's in, like reasonably buff. Until you see scenes where he has to become a soldier and you're like, oh, he's he's pretty intense. But I think if they cast somebody who was just like a meathead, I don't, I wouldn't see the family being so open to, oh yeah, come just be part of our family. Yeah. He's got that charm, that like, you know, small town yeah. charm. It was a smart choice. Very good And I don't think cast. that they really had him in mind at first, but he won them over, and it was smart. Cause He's a good actor. He really carries this film well. Our, our female lead is Maka Monroe, who you would know from It Follows. And interestingly, she didn't start off as an actress. She was a professional kite boarder, which is like kite surfing. What? Like Blue Crush stuff? Well, doesn't with, she seem like that kind but of with person? a kite? Yes, her dad was professional, and she's like competed at a professional level. So, n- no joke, full athlete. Wow, interesting. Yeah. Okay, and, I wouldn't have guessed that one. And then her brother Luke is played by Brendan Meyer, whom you might know from Color Out of Space. Oh, okay. yeah. So those two have pretty good credentials. The mother is played by uh, Sheila Kelly. And she has a whole mixed She career. seems like a TV actress. You, yeah. She's done a lot of TV, but most importantly, she was in T- Turner and Hooch. Oh, okay. Look out. <laughs> <laughs> and then the dad, Spencer, is played by Leland Orser. And he's from a whole bunch of stuff. Same idea. You've seen him in stuff, but you probably can't quite put your finger on him. I was surprised. He's from Brand New Cherry Flavor, which you and I recently watched. That's uh, kind of good, kind of not good. Do you remember that? No. We watched it last summer. Was it a movie? It was a series. Oh, no, I don't remember it. With the witch in the house. Nope. With the cats, like eating the cats. Nope. What? She eats all the kittens? One girl barfs up the kittens and the oh, witch eats oh, the kittens? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, gotcha. Okay. Oh, with the lady from Being John Malkovich. Yeah. What's her name? Catherine... Uh, something. Yep. Okay, anyway, I do remember that. So he's from that also. Okay. Okay, so that's our cast. They've all done some kind of quirky stuff, I guess. So this is right in their, right in their wheelhouse. We have a little short scene too from Ethan Emery. Yeah, we'll get to that. Can't hardly wait, which is interesting because the dad in this was in The Devil's Candy. Oh, which Ethan Emery Which Embry Ethan isn't. was too. And for those of you who have not seen that, I I try and push this on everybody. If you're into metal horror, like you know, I am, if you like Black Roses and Trick or Treat and whatever, um Rocktober Blood, if you like more modern metal horrors that don't suck, because that's the problem is metal horror became really self-aware. I mean, I think Deathgasm is pretty fun. And there was another one that we watched recently that was pretty fun. But Devil's Candy 
was a sleeper that it's nobody good. talked about. Yeah, it's real good. And it's really good. And it's I would classify it as a metal horror. Okay. Uh, and they're both in that. So I, I was interested to see them yeah. uh, in another film. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty good cast here. And you'll, like I said, you'll see people you recognize. But let's get into this film. So the film begins with the arrival of David, again, played by Dan Stevens from Downton Abbey. Blue-eyed, handsome guy. He's like running. And it's clear he's a military dude. And he arrives at the Peterson household in New Mexico, which is like 8% of why we chose this film. The Peterson family is a family who is recovering after the loss of their son, Caleb, who had been killed in action in Afghanistan. David knocks on the door and reveals to the mother that he they were close friends, that he and Caleb were close friends, and he came to basically share Caleb's final message with the family, you know, a message of I love yous and stuff like that. Yeah, and he's got a very charming... Kind of draw to southern, his name. He's southern very, drawl. Very polite. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Um, he's got this smirk on his face at all times. It's not a smirk, though. It's not mean. Well, no. Like, a smirk is in, like, he's always got, like, a partial smile to Yeah. It. And, yes, it is New Mexico. That's kind of cool. It's actually shot an hour from our house. I yeah. Mean, it's, like, very recognizable. I love watching movies that were shot around us. Yeah, it's, it's really so fun. much fun. Yeah, and New Mexico in general has a lot of films shot in it now. There's a whole industry that's booming here. Obviously, Breaking Bad. Uh, this kind of predates that a little bit. Actually, I don't know. Maybe it was around the same time. Yeah, I mean, Transformers, all that stuff was coming into New Mexico, and it was starting to boom. And now that we've got Netflix, came to to Albuquerque it's like out of control so this really has become I think it's the third largest film market after New York and LA is Albuquerque yeah I believe (laughs) so I believe it too but yeah this was way earlier on um before the film industry was really taken off yeah an earlier toehold and it's filmed in Moriarty which is a really small town outside of Albuquerque um and it's it's really an interesting place to film uh a movie because it has such a rundown quality to it. So I think it adds to the whole mood of this family. They're kind of reeling from the loss of a member and every character just seems to be dealing with it in, in a very individual way. Like the family is in a cohesive unit. So David comes in and he is a sort of codifying element. He's avuncular. He's like their onc- uncle who comes in and it's helpful. And his demeanor overall is really kind, really helpful. But the way that this character is played is interesting because there is an element that is sinister, but you could also go, I would totally fall for this. Yeah, he his development as this film goes on is really well paced. Yeah. They don't they give away just these little flashes without it you know, blowing everything too soon. Also going back to the location, this wasn't supposed to be shot in New Mexico originally. Really? Yeah, it's supposed to be shot in the Pacific Northwest. And although I would love that because I also love that location, it's more believable for the family because the dad keeps alluding to how like they're struggling financially mm-hmm. and they're just getting by. And the cost of living in New Mexico is not even kind of the same as the cost of living in the Pacific Northwest. So it does make it feel more like this is where they're living because this is where they can afford a home and and get by on on a smaller salary. So I don't know. Those were just small, small details that actually stood out to me. Yeah, I agree. So David here is part of the family almost right away. He quickly weeds out their family issues and basically makes them his priority. So he just one by one finds ways to ingratiate himself to each member of the family. And it is pretty like spot on. You could see so easily how a person could prey upon the sadness and despair of a family reeling from like personal loss, how they could be such easy targets when somebody comes in and is just like, let me help. Yeah, it's interesting how he goes about each family member, too, because the mom he wins over instantly because she is just the the classic grieving mother. And she's sweet. And, and she, she just, just wants somebody that reminds her of her son. Yeah. So she's the easiest one to win over. The dad at first is a little off put, but then quickly is like, oh, this guy is really a great guy. 
And he takes him in pretty quick. The brother, um, I think he just wants to feel heard and seen because he's being bullied at school. So he works his way in through the brother that way. It's the sister who is the tough one. Yeah, so... He first realizes that Luke is being bullied at the school. And so by day two, David helps him address his bullying situation. That's how quick this moves. And by what I mean when I say address the bullying situation, it's one of the craziest scenes of this whole movie. He, day two, is using Luke's mom's car, picks him up from school, identifies the bullies, and has quite a beat down with them at a bar this is such a great scene it's so well played the whole bar yeah i read this took like two days to film and sure it is so well done it's a great scene sets the tone i yeah there's a lot of great memorable moments in this film but that bar scene is, is pretty awesome yeah so instantly he's ingratiated himself to luke by helping luke navigate this in a really kind of scary and chaotic way but it works perfectly he's orchestrated it perfectly and then with the father mr peterson uh he at first is like feeling out the dad and he's like no no thanks to having a beer but then he realizes the dad's like an alcoholic and so he accepts drinking and that's the way in they become like drinking buddies and he the dad then drunkenly reveals that he's struggling with work because a more educated colleague is getting the promotion that he had wanted yeah it's really interesting all this backstory and for people who have watched this and maybe are asking like what's the point of all this why does he care Mm -hmm. i think it's because not because i think this is true is that he really did want to um, look after the family. Caleb's family. I do yeah. think that he was friends with the brother and made that promise to him. Yeah. I think they went through an experience together. So somewhere in his brain, he had it in his, you know, in his mind that he had to get out there, make sure the family was okay. When he saw the family wasn't quite okay, because he was pretty set on leaving the next day mm-hmm. and then got won over by the family. So... This film is interesting because I do think it starts with a very sincere interest in in this guy finding areas where he could be of assistance and just wants to help. Yeah. It's before things kind of spiral, but it starts in a very interesting way. And it's interesting that you say that because I think even at the very end of the movie, and we'll get there... He is trying to do the right thing. He's just different. And we'll get to why he is different. But I don't think he's a bad person. That's the weirdest part. No, he just flips a switch. And that's why I think that the bar scene is so crucial. Because, well, it wins over the brother. Because the brother is like, oh, hell yeah. This dude's a badass. But it also shows that he can just flip a switch and become like this super machine yeah, so you know, he like beats super up soldier. all the bullies, but then he handle, handles the like whole chaos and aftermath like James Bond. He just throws yeah. down some money, tells a story, and walks out like a boss. Yeah, it's very cool, calm, collected after he just caused pure chaos. So he's working on winning over the rest of the family, but the hard character to win over is Anna, the older sister. So she's like a 21 year old working girl, still live, not working girl, but she works as a waitress, lives at home still. And eventually Anna is kind of talked by her mother into inviting him to a Halloween party. So let's set up this Halloween party because it's awesome. Yeah, this is what I love about this film is it really is a great Halloween movie. Yeah. I think because it's not on the East Coast, it doesn't have that fall feel. But it's everything around it, all the decorations, the parties, the music. It's it's just a great fall film and it this party sets that tone right away it's got that you know party you went to in your early 20s vibe you know they've got the lights that they probably got at a dollar store or big lots or something all around the background it's a bunch of 20 somethings partying hard and 
Anna and David show up and he in moments, mere moments, manages to show off how buff he is by carrying in two kegs. Yeah. So he like puts one up on his shoulder and just like loosely carries the other keg with his hand and is like super buff arms and then he beats up an aggressive dude and then humps a lady he just does this all like casually really quickly i mean he doesn't publicly hump the lady but we know he hooks up with one of uh, anna's friends and then he also shows anna he's super duper chill by getting high in front of her yeah this is an interesting scene because anna's 20 not 21 oh, right. because the dad makes this whole thing about how she's not quite ready to have a beer yet but she's ready to go party, so she wants to get high, but sees that he's here and doesn't want to get high in front of him. And then he gets high and then hands her the joint. And I thought this was another one of these weird, like, robotic programming moments where it was like he was assessing the situation. Yeah. And he was struggling to get to her, and he knew that he, if, he, if he did something like this, it would lower her defenses and we're, maybe make her more friendly. Yeah, I put him, we're in it together. And then he makes friends with all of her friends. He impresses her best friend, who's a girl, by like having sex with her. And then he sets up a deal to buy guns from another friend of hers who like knew a dude who knew a dude kind of situation. Yeah, so it's all of her friends <laughs> like him, so she likes him. And the whole time... He's doing this balancing act between like very down to earth, likable, charming, polite, and then periodic moments of almost zoning out and just staring intensely it's, at nothing. It's one of the best parts about his character because he he will he'll just like be mid sentence or whatever and stop and stare and you're like what's wrong and then he'll like catch himself like kind of shake it off and smile and carry on perfectly segueing into whatever the next scene is it's really subtle but really good yeah and this party scene's good because he learns about all of her friends he learns what he needs to know about her friends but also wins her over because now he's got all the members of the family on his side. Yeah. So he's he's there now. And a couple of things happen here. She wants to make him a mix CD, which is cute and nostalgic. It is uh, pretty cool. So she wants to make him a mix CD because he likes her music, but he also learns what her problem is. This is a little different, though, because every other member of the family has a problem that they kind of want solved. She doesn't want her problem solved. Her problem is her boyfriend, Zeke. So it's this dude that's a drug dealer. And she doesn't really... There's not a conversation here, but that's the problem that he sets in his mind that he needs to solve is get her out of this relationship mm -hmm. with a boyfriend. And he comes up with his own plan to solve that problem as well. Because we already know he solved Luke's problem. The mom is easy. And the dad will get to here in a minute. But he identifies something he needs to fix for each member of the family. Yeah, it's really interesting you talk about the mixed CD. Yeah. This brings into play um, a huge part of yeah. what makes this film so special is the musical selections. This has got a great score, but it's also got a killer soundtrack that stands out to everybody who sees it, especially people like us. If you're into... 80s post-punk and goth music. This is a, a who's who. And yeah. um, this scene in particular, right after the party when she's making the mix CD, mm -hmm. is, is one of the best scenes for the music of this film. So it was composed by Steve Moore, who went on to become Joe Bagos guy that Joe did VFW and Bliss and all uh -huh. that. Talk about more 80s nostalgia, but way more heavy handed. So he went on to do a lot of his composing. So he did the main score that's very electronic and kind of John Carpenter homage. But then intermixed in that and intertwined is a very 80s soundtrack. Uh -huh. So it's a smart play because it adds to not only that subtle 80s nostalgia, but also a great Halloween soundtrack. Yeah. Like that's another thing that makes us a good Halloween movie is is good classic goth and post-punk music. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of people who got put on this, some more contemporary, some not so. Some of the contemporary ones, uh, Johnny Jewell gets on there. He wrote a song for one of the, the tracks. He, We know him from an old band he was in called Glass Candy, but 
he went on to to become a really well established electronic artist. Um, he's the guy who got the gig to do the score for Drive originally, and then after he completed the entire score, got the boot and they gave Ugh. it to Cliff Martinez instead. Rough. So anytime I see him on a soundtrack, I'm like, all right, he got at least he got something on a film. Um, and then some big ones we should discuss with the soundtrack. Kyle Dixon and Michael Stein. Some people may recognize that name because they are also known as Survive, who went on to massive success for doing the music for Stranger Things. But they did this first. And it's my assumption, and so far all indications point to this, that they got the gig for Stranger Things because of their work on this film. I believe it. I believe it, too. So talk about... um, (laughs) Right place, right time. Yeah. And then beyond the newer ones, we get some awesome classics on this soundtrack. A little Sisters of Mercy, some Front 242, some Clan of Zymox, a couple tracks from them. But the standout track for me and the standout scene is why I'm bringing it up right now, is when she's making the mix CD and we get that shot from her in her bedroom and Love and Rockets is playing. (laughs) And they're playing Haunted When the Minutes Drag. And it's this awesome transition. It reminds me of an episode we did on shock treatment. Yes. This great pan from one window to the next window and seeing each person in their bedroom. Yeah. And she's like listening to music and hanging out. And then it pans over to him and he's just staring like straight ahead, not sleeping, not emoting anything, yeah. just sitting there blankly. That's so it's weird. so effective and then does this hard cut. But how cool to throw Love and Rockets into the soundtrack. If For those of you who are not big on like goth scene of the 80s, that's Bauhaus minus Peter Murphy. So yeah. when the lead singer left, the other three members formed Love and Rockets and put out some incredible albums. But excellent use of music. And um, also... I have this week's fun fact. So, speaking of music, I read there were two other bands that were supposed to be on the soundtrack, but he couldn't get the rights to them. The director, Adam, couldn't. So they got cut, but they both would have been awesome additions to the soundtrack. One is Death in June, which would have been Uh really cool, but the other... Depeche Mode. What? Black Celebration. <gasps> Couldn't get the rights to it, so got scrapped. I thought that. Man. Wow. <laughs> Too bad. I love Depeche Mode so much. One of my friends in high school made fun of me because I listened to Depeche Mode so much. They called me Depress Mode. <laughs> Speaking of Depeche Mode, they just announced a brand new album. Cool. Yeah, there's two of them left. Just whittling it down. Sorry. Okay. So the next morning we get to start really seeing the other side of David that we've only been really guessing at beyond the weird bar thing. He meets with this arms dealer uh, who's played by Ethan Embry. And the idea was that he was just going to buy a handgun, which it seems like kind of normal for a military dude to want like a nine millimeter or something. Instead, he's like, I'll take it all. And they're like, cool. It's Ethan Embry and Anna's friend. And he's like, and I'm going to kill you. And he's like, what? And then he just (laughs) kills them both. This is where it's like a horror movie almost. Because the kills in this are pretty malicious and methodical yeah it's not even malicious it's like a robot is gonna kill you it's kind of michael myers like yeah and we do get some some nods there's a few Mm -hmm. easter eggs scattered throughout i don't know this one because i'm not a big fan of halloween well i'm not i wouldn't say i'm not a big fan of i'm not familiar with halloween 4 i've only seen it like once just the past part three it's all a blur Uh um but i guess that weird six-armed um figure in their front yard uh-huh. is supposed to be a little nod to Halloween 4. Okay. But we definitely get one later on. So I was wondering that as they did this is, and even there's a kill later on too, that is very Michael Myers-like. Yeah. 
And he's just got no emotion. It's just like a machine. Yes. And ever the busy bee, David teaches Luke self-defense and gives him a knife. He helps Mrs. Peterson with chores. So far, very helpful guest. Mr. Peterson comes home from work one day, very surprised because that co-worker he had told David about has turned up dead. Yeah, he supposedly killed himself and his wife. And that means that the dad gets the raise. Yeah. And then Anna learns that her friend, the one who connected him with the arms dealer, was killed. And her boyfriend, Zeke, was found with a murder weapon in his car. So this is what I was talking about earlier. David identified the problem being Zeke and orchestrated Zeke being blamed for this murder. And it was successful but that was his fatal flaw because he hadn't really thought about what Anna would do and Anna knew her boyfriend well enough to know he hadn't done it yeah so she calls the military checking on him and this is this is where the film pivots yeah dramatically pivots because she calls to inquire about David the second that he starts to get wind that maybe she's on to him about something Uh That's when the whole movie shifts. Yeah. So up until now, it had seemed like David was basically a freelance psycho, like just (laughs) doing his own crazy thing. This is where we learn he's actually part of a military experiment gone wrong. And it really changes the whole tone. The military now sends out their crew who's headed by Major Carver, who you might know from, I think it's Lost, right? Yeah. And this is where it becomes more of an action film. It's a kind of a shift in genre right here. But then it also shifts back to horror. Yeah. It's weird. Although there is some good development in the plot here that explains why, is that he does what he... He's trying to be helpful. Mm -hmm. He's trying to do the right thing, but he's got this deep programming in him as part of this program, the super spy program or whatever, that if he feels like his mission has been compromised, he's supposed to erase all traces of it Uh no matter who it was that compromised that mission yeah and in this case it's anna who is compromising his identity so the whole family basically so everything's unraveling now and this is where we start to learn what's really happening and it's pretty it's pretty intense it builds quickly yeah so right at this moment david doesn't know he actually is going with mrs peterson to the school because luke has beat up the bully all this training that david has given him luke finally stood up for himself beats up his bully and weirdly his mom and david come in and david does some like smooth talking to the principal gets David or gets Luke out of being expelled instead only having to help set up for the Halloween party at school which is important because we'll get to the Halloween party at school shortly but he won over Luke's gratitude and Luke basically spoils all of the plot to David he's like David we're friends guess what Anna you know knows I know you're killing everybody I don't care how did you feel about that it was interesting that the brother openly said you killed uh, dad's co-worker right yeah I don't care it was just really interesting how his his interest in being friends with him was so much stronger that he was willing to overlook this psychopath in front of him. Well, I think he saw somebody putting his broken family back together. Yeah, and... that's true. He was like putting the family first. So at any cost, it was kind of like, whatever you need to do, I don't care. Yeah. And he says something like, I know you killed all these people and I don't care. And there's this pause. It's so weird. David like stops and stare, does his crazy stare. And then he's like, are we friends? And he's like, yeah, yeah, we're friends. And then it's good and he leaves. And so he's a little bit weird, smiles, reassures Will, Luke and heads home with Mrs. Peterson. And they go about like hanging up the laundry outside. And that's when Major Carver and his whole gang show up to capture David. Only it's a bloodbath. They yeah. show up and David... Is super soldier. Yeah, he just turns on the super soldier, which um, concludes with talking about Michael Myers style. He's in the kitchen and the mom is realizing now, oh, you're not who you said you are and you're 
you're a psychopath. Yeah. And he realizes he has to clean up after himself at all costs and takes this, you know, Michael Myers style butcher knife and just stabs her like with no nothing. He apologizes. Yeah, it's so weird. The character is so strange about it. And then gets his way out. He's like, because he's, you know, super soldier. He kills everybody except Major Carver. <laughs> he gets out takes a truck and then comes along and who's driving down the road towards home, the dad, and just hits him head on, realizes he didn't kill him with that, gets out and just shoots him with like no emotion also. he But he apologizes again to the dad. It's so interesting. And I really actually like the shift in the tone of the film because up until this point, you know he's crazy. You kind of feel like he's going to protect the family and then you realize, no, they're just in the way now. Sorry. like Yeah. So he next has to go take care of Anna. And also Luke revealed that Anna's friend, the one he had previously slept with, may also have some knowledge. So he has to deal with both, both of them. So he goes to their place of work because they're both waitresses. Unfortunately for him, Anna just left like moments before we actually see her pulling out with Major Carver, who had just rescued her. And so David goes in, kills her friend by shooting her in front of a whole bar or restaurant. Really um, troubling scene. I don't know. I guess that was just the way it was shot. And then he drops down two grenades, but it's like perfectly in sync with the music. Yeah, it's very James Bond. So good. Blows the whole place up and then heads to the school, which is the whole film is coming to a conclusion with one of my favorite endings for a modern film. This is so well done is it all comes together because if you remember, Luke got out of suspension and just had to do detention instead by helping out at the Halloween dance at school. So that's where he's at. And the sister's trying to go rescue him because a killer is on the way. And so it all comes together with everybody joining at the haunted house at the school, which means it's the perfect, awesome ending to like a horror film. Yeah. Fog machines and neon lights. We get this scene that is a direct homage to uh, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, the, the pumpkin, the witch, and the skull. Those are all direct reference, uh-huh. but... The music's playing is awesome 80s music. No, it's the mixed CD she made. That's how he announces his arrival. Yeah, well, that's even cooler is he puts on the mixed CD that she so she's put, so which must have ruined all those songs for her. But it's hard to explain this whole ending without you just seeing it. But it's very stylish. It's very slick, the way yeah. it's shot. There are great shots of Anna and Luke running through the haunted house through, like, fog. There's some cool shots with, like, a hand with a knife and mirrors reflected. The cinematographer was Robbie Baumgarter. He went on to do the Blair Witch reboot and a bunch of other stuff. But okay. I don't remember that one, do you? No. I knew some people who really liked it. I guess, I don't know if we even watched it. Now I think I've watched... About- Two, the one with the warehouse, and that was a pretty big. <clears throat> no, no, this no, not part two, like the modern, the one that just came out recently. Oh no, the the redo. Shout out to this dude though, because the cinematography in Great. this movie is awesome. Um, so back to the film though. Ultimately, Anna shoots David. There's a confrontation. She shoots him. And he falls below the fog line. And so she uses her foot to, like, clear away the fog, but he's disappeared. And then he hops up and stabs her in the leg and is, like, choking her. It's such a great finale. And her brother comes up with the knife that David gave him and stabs him. And he falls back, like, dying. And he's like, you did the right thing and gives him a thumbs up. Yeah. So it's so interesting because it does show that he, like, knew the difference from right and wrong and was just completely unable to control himself. Yeah, it's like he can't control what he's doing. And there's a lot of that subtle dry humor in this, too, that lands really well. Perfect. Yeah. And then basically it's like he's dead and the cops come and all that. And then we get this last little scene where and we're skipping past everything basically but we get this last little scene where the brother and sister are sitting in the ambulance then they see um one of the firefighters walking out and he's limping a little bit 
And she notices those blue eyes, those pretty blue eyes. Uh-huh. And he's getting away. And then the film just ends, setting it up for a sequel. I'm waiting for it. I kind of am not. I uh. love the idea that he's just out there. No, I want it. But I think they could pull it. If they got the same cast together. Yeah. I think they could pull off a sequel. But this film is so fun. The way it just ties all these throwbacks to thrillers and gritty films and 80s and uh, cool music. Just it's all blended really well. I know that some people don't like this film. Other people do. I just don't see. I guess I just don't get it. I don't get why you wouldn't like this film. It's good. Although I was wondering if we extra like it because we were kind of teens in New Mexico. We spent our teen years living in New Mexico and there is something very familiar about this film, um, about the attitudes. They did capture a certain part, not all of the New Mexico experience, but there were some things that they captured that felt very real and very familiar. I would say it's part of that. It's also that it's just stylistically really well done. And then I, the music. The music is, I think, what it is. Is Anytime you throw Sisters of Mercy or Front 242 <laughs> or whatever, I'm good. Yeah, I'll be, I'll, I'll be a fan of that. Um, and I do think the acting is really well yeah. done. This plays like a B movie for sure. This feels like a, a drive-in grindhouse movie, mm-hmm. but it's really well acted. So good. His The subtlety of his acting is great. His eyes are mesmerizing. And I can't imagine somebody that didn't have those spooky eyeballs selling this role. So you know how there are blue eyes that are great? Good job. For blue-eyed people, he has the kind of blue eyes that kind of look scary, like a little bit haunted, mm-hmm. and like maybe he's possessed by the devil at all times. I don't know. You see them, you're interested, but also terrified of those people. Yeah. He's got that. Yeah. Yeah. To be determined if he's uh, possessed by a demon or not. Time will tell. Uh, what? Uh, Holy moly. Oh, man. I guess we're not in 2014 anymore. Oh, damn that time machine. So authentic. Yeah, we were having a good conversation, too. Right in the midst of it. Oh, well. Okay, well, I'm going to give this back to you to go bury out in the desert again. Thank you. And uh, we'll look for it some other time, maybe sometime next month. Maybe. Maybe. Well, that is uh, our time travel episode on The Guest. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, If you haven't seen it in a while, revisit it. It is a perfect film to pop on for the fall season for Halloween. Wait. What? I was just thinking about how he is the guest, but also he's in the live Beauty and the Beast where they sing Be Our Guest. That's all. (gasps) There should be a mashup where (laughs) he just kills everybody in Beauty and the Beast. Mm -hmm. Perfect. (laughs) It's like, be our guest, and it's just like a quick cut to him killing somebody. <laughs> be our guest, and another killing. <laughs> put, put your magic to the test. Kill, kill, kill. <laughs> oh, there's so much potential there. There we go. Okay, well, that's it. Um, if you like what you heard, as always, you can go check us out on Instagram at Lasergraves or listen to all of our back episodes at lasergraves.com. Do it right now. Thank you. Do it. Do it. Do it. Uh, go check out our friends' podcasts, Bad Taste Video, Reconcinimation, all those guys. They're doing good stuff. And I'm not sure what we're doing next time, but we've got a couple ideas. We will be continuing on with with the fall season for Halloween. Yeah. Our, our next episode does not line up directly with Halloween, but we've got one in mind that'll be a first-time watch, so we'll see. We'll leave it at that. Intriguing. I wonder if it annoys our listeners that we've never announced what we're doing next. I don't care. Yeah. Well, it's because 99% of the time we immediately change our minds right (laughs) after and then we don't do it. Don't pin us down. We definitely are not the type of podcast that can commit. Don't fence me in. Yeah. Don't. Nobody puts baby in a corner. That's right. All of those. Okay, everything we just said is true. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, that's it. Thanks for listening. (laughs) We'll see you next time. (laughs) Bye.